Good evening, Nerd Forensics fans. Tonight, we are recording from the hull of the USS Ishimura. We are in the grip of insanity due to us discovering some sort of marker. If you hadn't noticed, the Dead Space remake came out this week, and there's a lot on my mind. Sever the limbs and make us whole. The level lists spell out a secret message. Yes. So tonight we're going to be talking about, of course, the North Hollywood shootout, since that has really nothing to do with what we were just talking about. And, uh, well, I guess let's just dive into it balls deep. <laughs> Cue intro and... Millicent Oriana, culture expert. While seeking to unlock the secrets of all fandoms, she is exposed to an overload of every aspect of pop culture. Now... When asked a question about a piece of popular culture, she becomes curious. Now hosting a podcast and joined by amazing guests, she seeks to find answers and find a way to live off her talents and to make a fun podcast. I don't have questions. Sever the limbs. Make us whole again. I have a shit ton of questions. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the North Hollywood shootout and, uh... Any one of you lily-livered, bow-legged varmints care to slap leather with me? In case any of you get any ideas, you better know who you're dealing with. I'm the hootinest, tootinest, shootinest, bobtail wildcat in the West. I'm the fastest gun north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. I'm the... It's a simple story about two freaky bodybuilders who look like Dracula that wanted to live out the American dream. And of course, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jake Bourbon, and my producer, Sophia Baca, creator of the Breaking Math podcast and one of the people of the Santa Fe Trail Media Collective. All right. And again, the American dream, freaky bodybuilders who look like Dracula and guns, oh guns, oh my. And body armor. And body armor. Are we talking about Predator? No, no, but it is homemade body armor. Yeah, and it's an action movie, but not from the 80s, from the 90s. So kind of like Predator 2. Yeah, kind of like Predator 2. Actually, it's really similar to the opening of Predator 2. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's weirdly similar to the opening of Predator It is amazing so. you brought that up. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we're going to toss it over to Jacob since he did most of the research for this episode. So... Alrighty, so I first heard about the North Hollywood shootout through a comedian doing a bit, and he was bringing it up about how he knew a bunch of cops and how essentially this changed policing in America. I remember the Ron White bit where he's talking about how cops needed to play light gun games because he was like, one of the guys got so fed up, he finally just shot himself. Yeah, <laughs> so this was... Involving Larry Phillips Jr. and Emil Matasarano, um, who we will be referring to as Emil for the remainder of this episode. Okay, so you're telling me that we have armed robbers with body armor and advanced weaponry, and one of them's named Emil. Yes, and the other is named Larry. Okay, but there's a Clarence too, right? Can you fly, Bobby? Can you fly, Bobby? Clarence, no! Unfortunately, there is not a Clarence in to this situation. To what are Robocop. Because remember uh, the guy from ER that was all, help me, and got hit by the car and exploded by Ray Wise when he was all, don't touch me, man. man. Ah! Don't touch me, man. 
and he throws him in front of the truck. That that fucking. Which up in which movie? Robocop. Yeah, Robocop. Oh yeah. Clarence is all driving it, and he's all like, ah, when he hits him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah use some Robocop clips. Emil was the you know think you can outsmart a bullet. That guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy that was afraid of helicopters in uh, ER. Because he got his arm chopped off. <laughs> he got his arm chopped off by a helicopter. And because he, got... he was waving it into a helicopter's blade like an idiot. And then he got I hit by a helicopter would, later. I believe yes. that would break a helicopter blade for real. No, it'll go clean it'll through a limb. I've heard that. It will just... also cause the helicopter not to be able to fly. It depends on the helicopter, really. Yeah, I've just heard that those blades are, yeah. like, you know, they're pretty sturdy, but they're also going incredibly fast. Yeah. So Yeah. No, here's what it will do. The helicopter will become inoperable. Your arm will become missing. It will do both at the same time. It's like uh, sticking your fingers into a lawnmower blade that's spinning. Yeah. You know, like it's like that guy that went through the the uh, the the turbine on that jet and lived the crazy. His helmet is what saved him. His helmet dented it so badly it didn't go through him completely. But yeah. Oh that, God, I've watched that video. It is horrifying. Yeah. That means that you should always wear sunblocker before you go base jumping. No, it yeah. feels like that though. Oh yeah, it means that you should always check your safety crap. Like the dude gets sucked into an oh. engine. It is horrifying. Actually, you know oh, what? Yeah, I've seen me? it. Yeah. Wear a helmet. Yeah, always, always wear, wear a helmet. helmet. <laughs> just wear a helmet. Just wear a helmet in general at this point. You know, um, everybody wears a helmet. All your favorite people wear a helmet. Captain America wore a helmet in that weird movie from the 70s that was supposed to be an evil Knievel movie. Captain Kirk? No, Captain America. But I was saying Captain Kirk, did he wear a helmet too? No, he never wore a helmet, but never? that's because he was just there to destroy civilizations that offended him. That's why they created the Prime Directive because of him. Pretty much. I mean, he, he, he interfered with the uh, development uh, or with planets that were developing all the goddamn time. Well, the Prime Directive sometimes gets in the way of the story. Well, it here's does. the thing, though. And that's why captains have to violate. I watched Captain <laughs> Kirk destroy three planets in the original series that offended him. That is true. One of them, they were Nazis. They were Nazis. <laughs> and the other one, they were mobsters. So, I mean, both those planets probably okay. needed to be destroyed. But, the but, one okay, that didn't have love, How did they destroy love, the though? Nazi planet, yeah, though? That, wait, what? How did they destroy the Nazi planet? With fire? Yeah. I mean, how <laughs> I, else do you kill Nazis? Like, you give money to and, and resources and guns and stuff to the people being oppressed. It seems like it's like no, they no. were all Nazis. This man. Germany, this they Germany were, sucks. They had already conquered the planet. They exterminated everybody who wasn't a Nazi. Yeah. Well, what made them Nazis? Still, who knows? But they were Nazis. Nazis the point <laughs> is, though, there was no fixing them. There was I fire. Yeah, no, no, yeah, I get you now. Just like the I just want to make sure they wasn't like you know. Let's set fire to Dachau and Berlin. They no. turned into Daleks and were screaming exterminate. Yeah, yeah. They, he killed a planet full of Daleks. He also killed a planet full of mobsters. Which everybody was a mobster, and it's kind of like the Futurama. I know Big Vinny said he was giving me the kiss of death, but I still think he was gay. Did he use his tongue? A little. It was kind of like that planet. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that does happen in Star Trek. But, yeah, wear a freaking helmet. Speaking of not wearing a freaking helmet, let's get back to uh, our friends in the body armor. Oh, they both had helmets. Uh, anyways... So, uh, Larry and Emil first met at Gold's Gym in Venice, uh, Los Angeles, California in 1989. So, you know, they both developed a kind of a relationship over just weightlifting and bodybuilding. Steroids. And 
yes, there was definitely some steroid abuse okay. going on. This is Venice Beach. Okay, this sounds like the beginning of one of three things. Gay. A gay romance. An action movie. Cult. Or a crime. Well, it's definitely two of the three. Um, I don't think that they were in a relationship together because nobody has ever said that about them. But they might have been. Well, they might have been. Using- I mean, maybe. Emil had kids, so I don't know. They could have been using working out as an ersatz uh, sexual relationship. Dylan! You son of a bitch. What's the matter? The CIA got you pushing too many pencils? Huh? Had enough? Make it easy on yourself, Dutch. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But did know when to quit, huh? Damn good to see you, Dutch. Like, I'm not going to say that they were or weren't because I didn't see any information that said they were. But a cult and a crime definitely sound right. A cult, a crime, and an action movie definitely sound right. Or Uh, business partnership. I mean, yeah, you could technically call it that. (laughs) I guess I have to hear a little more. Um... So, before meeting Larry, Emil was a habitual offender. Um, He was responsible for multiple real estate scams and accounts of shoplifting, which, you know, kind of petty crimes to... Yeah, I was going to say, those are all pretty petty. He runs everything out here in Brooklyn. Numbers, protection, dope, prostitution. Victimless crimes, Mikey. Yeah, kind of petty crime. Nothing really, like, super terrible. Okay, I guess they they are bad. Um, well, yeah, I mean, general crimes are yeah, bad. Yeah, general, in general, when you're scamming other people out of their money, that's pretty bad. Uh, unless they're like a rich D-hole. So, Emil was born in Timisoara, Romania, to parents who relocated in L.A. in 1974. Um, he went to school and was eventually qualified as an electrical engineer. So, he's not dumb by any means this dude seems like he was pretty smart oh yeah but if i know anything about engineers sometimes they're so smart but they're smart enough to to convince themselves of really like terrible dumb idea terrible ideas i mean do you know what the most common uh profession for a terrorist is dilbert yes engineer (laughs) i just thought you were talking about just being dilbert i thought being dilbert made you a terrorist i mean we all know about the hate crimes and the you know white powder that he was sending people yeah You didn't hear it from us, but Eric Rudolph was the inspiration for Dilbert. Anyways, uh, Emil was a qualified electrical engineer. Um, He did run a computer repair business, but unfortunately this was not a very successful business um, as he either didn't do a good job or he just didn't get clients. You know, this was... uh, Come on, I preloaded it with fired in Photoshop. Like, this was in, like, the early 90s, so oh, yeah. I don't know. Like, there weren't too many home computers at that point. No, they really They weren't. were getting bigger, though. They yeah, they were starting, bigger. but it wasn't that. He was kind of ahead of his time, in a way. Because, uh, you know, the home computer repair business, that started booming in, like, the mid to late 90s, right? Yeah, yeah, around the time that uh, he found his new calling. Yeah, around the time he found his new calling. So, on July 20th, 1993, 
Uh, Larry and Emil had a great idea. Then he got an idea. An awful idea. The Grinch got a wonderful, awful idea. They would rob an armored car outside a branch of the first bank in Littleton, Colorado. Oh, good. And that would be the last time anything tragic would happen in Littleton. So you're, exactly. So you're not only stealing from an armored car, you're stealing from an armored car in front of a bank. Exactly. Where the white blood cells are going to coagulate. Now, I feel like this is probably a good point to bring up that Larry and Emil, you know, they had a favorite movie. It's oh, a God. movie that I actually do enjoy quite a bit. Uh, it's a little film by Michael Mann known as Heat. I've got Heat on DVD at home. We're watching this when for less money we could be watching Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. shall call thee Jove, shall wait upon thy cup and fill thee nectar. Their enticing eyes shall serve as crystal. I'm going to pretend I am watching heat. Okay, let's pretend we're just watching heat. So if anybody's unfamiliar with heat, it is essentially about a crew of bank robbers and high-end heist. Yeah, and like what can go wrong. And what can and probably eventually will go wrong. Oh. Um, Again, I actually do like Heat quite a bit. It, I think it's one of the better like heist movies out there. It's pretty great. Um, I also do like Michael Mann as a director. I think he has a very interesting style. Yes. Um, anybody who, who saw Red Dragon, there's a much better movie called Manhunter that Michael Mann directed. And also, Public Enemies is pretty great. Say what you will about Johnny Depp. Public Enemies is a fun movie. Uh, he also did, uh, what's the one with Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise? Oh, uh, Collateral. Yeah, he also did Collateral. Yeah, Tom Cruise plays a little person who's an assassin. Sorry, Tom Cruise is a little person who plays an assassin. <laughs> Sorry, Tom Cruise is Tom Cruise playing an assassin. <laughs> It, it, it learning though that this uh, people who are trying to pull off a heist that their favorite film is uh, Heat. It, it just reminds me. It's like it's like an investment banker whose favorite movie is uh, The Wolf of Wall Street or the, what's The Wolf of Wall Street from the eighties? Oh, uh, Gary and Larry Glenn Ross. Well, no, Glenn Gary Glenn Ross is not. That's Gil the movie. Well, what's the one with the with the white collars and the gray shirts? I know exactly. Wall Street. Yeah. Wall Street. Okay. Wall Street. Yeah, that's why I kept saying Wall Street. Oh, uh, I, I thought you were starting a sentence. Hank Pym. I can't remember his name right Michael now. Douglas. Yeah, Michael Douglas. Gordon Gecko. So uh, uh, on October 29th of that year, uh, Emil and Larry were arrested in Glendale in the northeast area of the L.A. for operating a stolen vehicle. A uh, subsequent search of their vehicle after Philip surrendered, or after Larry surrendered with a concealed weapon, uh, found two semi-automatic rifles, two handguns, more than 1,600 rounds of 7.62 millimeter rifle ammo, uh, 1,200 rounds of 9 millimeter ammo, and uh, 45 ACP handgun ammo. That's a lot of bullets. Oh, it gets better. They also had radio scanners, smoke bombs, improvised explosive devices, armored vest, and three different California license plates. Nice. So, uh, if you were found in a car with 
all of these guns, ammunition, body armor, police scanners, explosives. Shooter, fella could have a pretty good weekend in Vegas with all that stuff. Uh, what do you think would happen to you? I'd either have to fight my way out or I'd go to jail. Well, they did go to jail. Um, initially, Emil and Larry were charged with conspiracy to commit robbery, which, yeah, they fucking were. Yeah. <laughs> they were planning to rob someplace. Clearly. But, uh, because they couldn't prove that they were going to, they just planned on robbing someplace. Uh, both of them only served 100 days in jail. And then they were placed on three years of probation due to a plea bargain. Yeah, uh, they were both uh, placed on three years of probation due to a plea bargain. Nice. So, laws are kind of like suggestions sometimes in the United States, it seems like. Well, I mean, if you don't enforce all laws equally, then you're going to have weird situations. Like this? <laughs> oh, and the amount of serial killers I've seen just let off, or I've heard about just being let off. What year are we in again? Uh, this is 1993. Uh, after their release, uh, most of their seized property was returned to them except for the confiscated firearms and explosives. So, but did they get their license plates back? Yeah, they got their plate. It sounds like they got their plates back, their car back, their body armor back. They just didn't get their guns or their uh, bullets or bombs. bombs back. Well, okay, it seems like the, like the police should confiscate their bombs. Yeah, I think that's something the police should do. So, over the next few years, uh, Larry and Emil, um, they were kind of just working out, watching heist movies, doing steroids, uh, some other drugs. And then on June 14th, 1995, uh, they ambushed another Brinks armored car, this time in Winnetica, Los Angeles. I don't know if that's per correct. W-I-N-N-E-T-K-A. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's California. Who cares? Yeah. Winnetica, Los Angeles. Again, if I mispronounce, I apologize. Um, and this one, they took things up a notch. Uh, they killed one guard, a man by the name of Herman Cook, and seriously wounded another guard. Um, in May 1996, they then robbed two branches of Bank of America in San Fernando Valley, um, in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, stealing approximately $1.5 million dollars. The pair were dubbed the High Incident Bandits. High Incident? Yes. High What's that mean? They were crazy and violent. I getcha. Is is that like a term in Legion Policing, like a high incident? I guess. Hmm. I'm thinking it means there's a high chance of an incident with them. Yeah, these guys are like aggressive and ready to start yeah, shit. Yeah, they're crazy and they're ready to fucking kill you over the slightest interference. I get you. Everybody be cool, this is a robbery! And the upstairs fucking pricks move! And I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you! So yeah, they're dubbed the High Incident Bandits uh, due to the weaponry they had used in the three robberies prior to their attempt in North Hollywood. Um, so let's talk about the weapons they used in the actual robbery. They armed themselves with a semi-automatic HK-91 and several illegally converted weapons. 
two Norenko Type 56S rifles, a fully automatic Norenko Type 56S1, and a fully automatic Bushmaster XM15 Dissipator. So they modified all of these rifles to fire fully automatically. Oh, yeah. Um, which basically we've, that's been illegal since like the thirties in the U S right. Yeah. The machine gun stamp act. Um, it's well, yeah, yeah. There's tech. What? Weren't bump stocks legal until a few years ago? Uh, Yeah. Up until the Las Vegas, a a bump stock just increases your rate of fire. It's not technically an automatic. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the way a bump stock works is that it uses the recoil as the rifle fires back. It uses that to reload another round into the chamber and help you fire again faster. Gotcha. So it's just, it just means you got to pull the trigger many, many times. Yes. It, it increases your physical rate of fire, but it's not considered a fully automatic yet. Um, which, yeah, again, those were legal up until the Las Vegas shooting. Yeah. America's kind of crazy with its guns sometimes. <laughs> I mean, again, I'm a gun owner. Oh, yeah, and also gun violence is not as big in Canada where white supremacy isn't such a prevalent issue. Yeah, like here, are the like I do believe that there are situations in which a person does need a gun to defend themselves. I'm not going to say that there's never, like, I'm I'm not living in a fantasy world. Oh, yeah, if you're in America, if you're probably part of the proletariat in America, the police do not work for you. Yeah. You really exactly. do need your gun. And I will say, though, that white supremacy is a problem in Canada. Oh, yeah, but I'm just saying that I just noticed that there's so many, like, politicians and things like that that are, like, part of this violent uh, revival of white supremacy. Oh, yeah, in the United States. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, there's that crazy stuff with the medical systems and stuff. Oh, yeah, Canada. they had the First Nations people and how yeah. literal towns of full of na- them and black people were destroyed in Canada in the name of progress. Yeah. All I know is that I work in kind of a shitty neighborhood at night by myself. I open carry. I carry a big fucking gun. And while many of my coworkers have been robbed at gunpoint, I never have been because it is far more trouble than it's worth with me. That is true. All right. So getting back to the, uh, to, uh, Tweedle Dingus and Nungus. <laughs> so now we are at February 28th, 1997 at roughly nine 13, nine 14 in the morning. Uh, the two entered the bank. They were wearing their body armor and they had their guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much everybody immediately knew that what was up, that this was a robbery. Um, they were just there to make a deposit. No, that no, no, no. They they were there to rob the bank. Um, they had gone so far in their preparation as to trigger an alarm earlier in the month. To, to time out the police response time to that bank. How long it would take them to get there. Smart. That is smart. Like, they actually did plan this out pretty well. Um. Also, the morning of... So, they entered armed with their HK-91s and their Norinkos and their Bushmaster and all their other fucking guns. Um, they had allegedly filled a jam jar with gasoline and placed it in the back seat with of their getaway vehicle with the intention of destroying the car, uh, to destroy the weapons and the any other evidence they had tracked with them. Larry wore roughly forty pounds of equipment, including 
a type 3A bulletproof vest and groin guard. So body armor comes in different levels. Uh, type mm. 3 will stop like a good amount of like rifle rounds. Yeah. Like it's pretty heavy duty armor. And it can't be reused once, right? Uh, I can take a couple shots before its integrity yeah, gives yeah, away. Yeah, you're thinking of like a, a Kevlar vest, which is a level one armor. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Because it goes from level one to level four. Um, level four armor will... Per- it's basically a steel plate in front of your chest. So that'll stop bullets until they punch a hole through it. Larry had a load-bearing vest with multiple ma- military ammo pouches and several pieces of homemade body armor crafted from spare vests. Uh, they'd basically sewn other Kevlar vests together to make leg and armor armor. Oh, Jesus. an arm armor. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, level one armor. Yeah, basically level one armor protecting their legs and uh, arms, their extremities. And they also had ballistic helmets, which, again, a ballistic helmet will... Uh, Stop pretty much all pistol rounds and most rifle rounds to a degree. Emil wore only a Type 3A bulletproof vest, but included a metal ballistic plate to protect his vital organs. Um, additionally, each man had sewn a watch into the back of one of their gloves to, in order to monitor their timing. Again, since they had timed the police response to this robbery. Yeah. Uh, before entering, they took... Uh, phenobarbital prescribed to Emil as a sedative to calm their nerves and forensic toxicology also found ephedrine and yeah, phenylpropanolamine. I'm just going to let Sophia say it. Fuck me. Phenylpropanolamine. Um, they found that in Larry's blood and phenyltoin in Emil's blood. And I think the phenylpropanolamine is the stuff in certain um, uh, cough medicine, not cough medicines, cold medicines in Europe, but I might be wrong. I was going to say, I mean, Sophia, you're kind of more of the pharmacologist here than me. So, I mean, I assume you know how fucked up they were. Uh, well, okay, so it sounds like they're just doing, like, you know, a basic, like, you know, kind of speed with phenylbarbital kind of thing, which is a classic combo because it's like, you know, you zoom out, but, like, you know, you're able to concentrate really hard on what you're zooming out on. Um, it, they used to give it to wives. Uh, well, they, I, I said, say wives specifically, not because I'm a misogynist, but because they were in the 50s. They called it housewife syndrome, uh, where uh, women get depressed about being home all day doing labor um, and shit. Uh, It'd make you kind of impervious to pain and also very spacey and zoomy and calm. Oh, yeah. I mean, speedballs are a classic for a reason. So, anyway. But, yeah, they were very concentrated, and they were probably not making the best decisions unless they had everything planned out in advance. Which, honestly, they kind of did. Because, again, they tested the police response time, which they estimated to be about eight minutes um, from their previous test. They had the watches sewn into the back of their gloves so they could keep a constant look at the time. Larry had also used a radio scanner to monitor police transmissions prior to the robbery. But unfortunately, fate had a different plan because at 9.16 a.m. when they were walking into the bank, they were spotted by two LAPD officers, Lauren Farrell and Martin Perello, who were driving down Laurel Canyon in a patrol car. So they saw so they, these- they were they, they were seen 
from the road holding up the bank. So there was like clear windows or something. No, they were seen walking into it with all their body armor, armor and, and guns. guns. Oh, they didn't even wear like cops just driving by. Oh, the, at least wear a Matrix style duster. Then people are just gonna think you're a weirdo. First of all, it's not a jacket. It's a duster. It's like a jacket, only it's longer, thicker, and far more badass. I look like Lorenzo Lamas, and women find it irresistible. Well, that part's just simply not true. Exactly. Like, no, no. They saw them fully kitted out, walking into the bank, ready to rob this shit. <laughs> like, it is a horrible twist of fate, kind of, that they, like, just wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, those cops definitely were, like, just in the... I mean, for them, right place, right time. Yeah. Uh, for for the robbers, definitely wrong place, wrong time. Oh, yeah, it was just kind of one of those, like, you look over and you're like, holy crap. Yeah, like, am I fucking seeing this? It's like that meth lab that you saw uh, get caught, Millie. Did you want to talk about that oh. super quick story? Okay, so back in the day, I was smoking a bowl with a friend in his car. Not of meth, just weed, right? Just weed, yeah. And um, I locked eyes with a police officer as I was, like, lighting this pipe. And he looked at me, and I remember I saw his lips move, and he mouthed you and pointed at me. And I was like, oh, no. And he flipped on his lights and did a U-turn. And in front of us was a van. That van gunned it down the road, and the back opened up and a bunch of chemicals spilled out. Plus a bunch of glass equipment. Mm -hmm. And we saw them like down the road getting arrested. And we were like, wow, so that was a mobile meth lab. Guy must have not slept in a couple days. Saw the police and was like, oh, no, they're after me. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, so it reminds me of that. Yeah, lucky fucking break. <laughs> yeah, so the police spotted them and they reported a possible 211, which was the code for a robbery. As they entered the bank, each armed with their Norinco-type 56S1 rifle, they forced customers leaving the ATM lobby near the entrance into the bank and onto the floor. A security guard inside saw the scuffle and the heavily armed robbers and radioed his partner in the parking lot to call the police like a like a smart person would do. Yeah. Because you're, you're a security guard getting paid minimum wage at a bank. That is not your problem to deal with. Yeah, that is not that is not the time to die. Yeah, that don't be a hero for that. So they gather everybody into the main lobby where Larry fucking yells out, this is a fucking holdup because he's in a movie of his own mind. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I'm pretty sure everybody already understood that's what it was. Oh, guess what? They then did the classic open fire into the ceiling. Oh, of course. What, what, did yeah. they shoot somebody? That they, uh, no, they shot the ceiling up. Oh, yeah, but aren't there usually offices above a bank? Depends on the bank. If it's That's a two-story right. building or not, yeah. It would depend on the bank. Uh, the, I mean, we watched the video of this, so that, did not, that didn't look like a two-story building. Yeah, they just fired in the roof because it was like a movie. Yeah, they just wanted to be in a movie. They, like, wanted to be in heat so bad. <laughs> Emil then shot open the bulletproof door because uh, it was designed to resist low-velocity rounds, like a 9mm or a 38, like something you shoot from a pistol. Not these fucking guns that they had. So he just blew his way into it. Jeez. I also like that uh, they wanted to be in heat so bad could also be the uh title like the subtitle card to a porno movie that definitely could 
Uh, they eventually force the assistant manager of the bank, uh, John Villagrana, John Villagrana, to open the vault. Um, he obliged and began to fill the robber's money bag because he wasn't a dumbass and didn't want to die for a fucking bank. However, due to the uh, a change in the bank's delivery schedule, the vault contained significantly less than the $750,000 they were expecting. So, basically, they hadn't had their, like, drop-off yet from the Brink's truck. Yeah. Yeah, Emil was pretty pissed about this development, that they weren't going to get seven hundred and fifty grand. Uh, what was in the bank was closer to three hundred grand. So, granted, uh, still a good amount of money, in my opinion. Yeah, I was say, that's a lot of money still. Yeah, it's a lot, but it ain't three quarters of a million dollars. That's more money than I've seen. Yeah, then way more money than I've ever seen. Um, oh, yeah, Sam. But because he was mad, Emil fired a full drum magazine of 75 rounds into the bank safe. Because, again, they're in a movie. Do you want to play with us? Okay. Say hello to my little friend. Okay. Do you want to play with us? Okay. Yeah, say, that's exactly what you do. Yeah, they're, they're, they're in a movie in their fucking heads, apparently. So what was the first thing they blew through? It was the security door, right? Yes. But th- this is the bank safe, which, you know, for... He just started firing into the safe, like, deposit uh, boxes and shit. And here's the thing. Oh, okay, so he got into the safe already? Yeah, they were in the safe already by this point. Okay. And the manager was like, there's only 300 grand in here, man. You got to take that. I get you. Which and, and so, so was the safe already open? Like, was it like a door to the back that they blew through, or was it a door to the safe that they blew through? No. Uh, so in this sort of bank, uh, the tellers and the customers were like completely separated. There wasn't like a gap over the booth or anything. It was a solid window. I get you. And there was a door that you had to enter through. I think Wells Fargo has that set up, don't they? Certain banks have yeah, it. Some don't. Do. Like, it, the bank up in the mountains by my house does not have that setup. It is an open setup. If I wanted to, I could jump the counter. I mean, you, you wouldn't get away with it. <laughs> oh, no, I wouldn't. But if I wanted to, the option's there. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I have no desire to rob a bank because I understand that the prison sentence versus what you're probably going to get it is not, it is not worth it. Oh, yeah, most of the money in a bank is not kept physically. Yeah, it is not worth it to physically rob a bank anymore. Uh, This is one of the incidents that's the reason why it's not. Because banks don't carry 300 grand in them anymore. It's all electronic. Yeah, banks don't carry this much money in them anymore. It is all electronic. At most, a bank usually has about 20 grand in it, in cash. And robbing a bank, I think, is still like a 20, 25-year sentence. Yeah, jeez. That ain't worth it to me. Like, a year of what I'm getting paid right now to spend 20 years in prison? That ain't worth it. Oh, yeah, no, especially when you put it like that. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. That ain't worth it to me. It's not worth it to rob a bank. So yeah, because they're in a movie, he just fired an entire clip, an entire barrel drum into the bank vault because Emil got mad that they didn't have as much money as he thought. Um, before leaving, the robbers locked all of the hostages in the bank vault, which there was about 30 people in total. Jeez. Which, at least they didn't kill them. 
I mean, I'm surprised they didn't suffocate. Well, I'm. The cops were already outside at the true point. response time of eight minutes. Yeah. Oh no! The, the cops saw them walking in. Oh yeah, that's right. The cops from the so they were like on it immediately. Oh, there was also three die packs, which all later exploded uh, while ruining the money they stole. So they didn't even get the three hundred grand. The die packs ruined it. God. So outside, the first responding officers heard the gunfire within the bank, and they made another radio call reporting shots fired before taking cover behind their patrol car. Uh, While the robbers were still inside, additional North Hollywood Division patrol and detective units arrived and took strategic positions uh, at all four corners of the bank, basically just making sure that they wouldn't escape, uh, at least unnoticed. Um, at approximately 9.24 a.m., so they walked in at 9.16, it's 9.24, that's eight minutes exactly. Yeah. Uh, they exited through the north doorway, and after spotting a police cruiser about 200 feet away, they just opened fire for several minutes. Okay. Just continuous <laughs> fire for several minutes. I, I feel like they just want to be like Al Pacino in every movie. Yes, mm-hmm. they want to be Al Pacino at the end of Scarface. Or yeah. Heat. Or Heat. Or... They, no, they want to be the guy who is laughing and shooting his gun during Heat. Oh, yeah, the crazy guy. Yeah, they want to be the crazy guy. He exited through the north doorway, and they just started immediately opening fire. Um, in the initial shooting, uh, Larry wounded Sergeant Dean Hayes, Officer Martin Whitfield, Officer James Zabravan, and Officer Stuart Guy, and Detective Williams Krulik, and Detective Tracy Angles, as well as three civilians that had taken cover behind Sergeant Haynes' patrol car. Damn. So, yeah, he just, like, sprayed and just hit Everybody, it seemed like. Larry had also fired at an LAPD helicopter flown by Charles D. Paraguay Jr. Um, as it surveyed the scene from above, uh, forcing it to withdraw to a safer distance. The news footage we were also watching of this, because you can watch the entire thing happening in real time on fucking YouTube. Uh, they open fired on the helicopter that we were watching in that, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the news chopper. Yeah, the news chopper. So they were just shooting at anything that moved, it seemed like. Larry briefly retreated inside, and then he reemerged through the north doorway while Emil exited through the south exit. Um, They both continued to engage police officers, firing sporadic bursts into the patrol cars that had been positioned. Now, here's the big thing about this event, is that... They both had these heavily modified weapons, and the LAPD, uh, they had basically their standard issue Berettas and a couple Smith and Wesson uh, 38 revolvers and a 12 gauge pump shotgun. So they were severely outgunned and they were out armored in this engagement. Uh, interesting. Yeah, like so. What I'm assuming they're loose. Uh, generally, yeah. Um, because ba- the handguns and the shotguns couldn't even penetrate the armor that they were that Emil and Larry were fi- wearing. 
Like they couldn't, they they were feeling like the taps of it, but the, the bullets weren't penetrating. That's cool. So, uh, being outgunned as they were, normally you would call the fucking SWAT team in this situation. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the SWAT team was out on an exercise during this day and at this time. So they were like way off in the fucking canyons of Northern California, like doing like a fucking run. So they were not in the capacity to fucking join to help the the remaining officers. Yeah, they were like way off somewhere. Yeah. So by the time they got the call and returned, it was like forty minutes had passed. Oh geez. So what had happened? Was were they just still shooting at each other? Yeah, pretty much. The cops were just trying to keep the two in position. Which here's the thing uh, about like. 20 minutes into this shootout, there's a moment where Larry and Emil could just fucking leave. Yeah, I was going to ask, is there, like, couldn't they have crab walked or something? Yeah, there's a moment where they could have just driven away and the LAPD couldn't have stopped them. There was nothing that they could have done. They maybe could have followed them with a helicopter for a while and that would have been it. Like, there was no stopping them with what they had. But they were in a movie. So they had to have their grand shootout with the cops. So they stayed. And this was their downfall. Several officers went to a gun store that was nearby. And being that the the owner of the gun store had a good relationship with the police. So he was just like, you guys are in a shootout. Here, take whatever guns you need. So they ended up grabbing a bunch of AR-15s. I see. Um... Now, this kind of helped pin Larry and Emil down, but it wasn't really stopping them. So there's a moment, again, the moment where they could have left and they chose not to. It seems like, they, like they're like they talking for a minute and then Larry or Emil just kind of drives off. He's inside their getaway car and Larry's just shooting at the cops. And that's when he starts walking down that street to... Uh, and he eventually gets pinned down behind like a construction truck. And eventually what happens is he runs out of ammunition or his rifle jams, I believe. So he switches to his sidearm, his pistol, at which point one of the cops shoots him in the hand and he's unable to fire. He's unable to continue engaging in combat. Um, That's when he takes his gun, sticks it under his chin, and he shoots himself in the head. Jeez. And that's when the cops shoot him like nine to 15 times after he fell to the ground. Stop! Stop! He's already dead. You can watch this on YouTube. Yeah, he's like already dead. He is way dead. And they're just shooting him to make sure. At this point, Emil in the getaway car, he's trying to drive down the road and his car has been shot to shit. It is not going anywhere, really. Eventually, he either just stops trying with his current vehicle or it gives out on him. And at that point, he tries to start carjacking other motorists because uh, they still hadn't gotten the word out about this in the area, apparently. And Pete and civilians were just driving through. 
So he's trying to carjack motorists. And in one of the... There's this Jeep or this truck with like a camper. I can't remember exactly what it was. But it ends up... That dude stops. Emil aims his gun at him. And he takes the fuck off. The driver takes the fuck off. Now this one source I remember saying he took the keys with him. So Emil like packs all of his guns and gear into this car. He's planning on getting away. And he gets inside it. And it won't start. He can't get it. Oh, jeez. Yeah, he can't get it. it I, he either didn't have the keys or the dude had, like, a kill switch on his engine or whatever. But the car wouldn't start. And that's when SWAT showed up. So there's a brief standoff between Emil and SWAT. Um, he's firing his weapon from the hood of his initial car, using the other car as a shield. Uh, one of the SWAT officers has a good idea, and he realizes that Emil is not armored in the legs all that well. And he lays down, and he ends up just shooting Emil in the leg, like spraying him in the legs. Um, I think he ended up having 17 bullet wounds in his legs, for the most part. Jeez. <laughs> After that, uh, Emil surrendered, being shot in the legs. He couldn't stand or maintain his fire. He wasn't getting away. So he he surrendered. At that point, they put him in cuffs. Uh, they probably Mirandized him, but he was bleeding out. Um, and he bled out pretty quickly. Uh, neither gunman survived the incident. Apparently, Monta Emil was also shot in the chest armor, and it deflected a double tap from a SWAT officer. Damn. So, and then he continued firing. Um... So the ambulance took a real long time to get to Emil uh, because it was following the standard procedure in a hostile situation by refusing to enter a hot zone. So I guess that's just a thing where medical personnel won't at, won't enter an active combat area, I guess. It makes sense. I mean, it makes sense to me, yeah. They're paid like nothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I understand. Uh, they radioed for the ambulance. It, it took forever. Later reports show that Emil had been shot 29 times in the legs and died from trauma due to excessive blood loss from two gunshot wounds to his left thigh. So they probably hit a femoral artery. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it. So by the time the shooting had stopped... Uh, Emil and Larry had fired about 1,100 rounds, approximately around every two seconds. Um, and I believe the police fired, like, another, an additional 900 rounds. Makes sense. So it sounds like they actually did exhaust about a fifth of their supply. <laughs> yeah, like, the, the exchange of gunfire in this was insane. Um... Now, the aftermath of this incident is actually one of the main reasons why U.S. police forces started their heavily militarization campaigns. Mm. Because they didn't feel like they were able to stop high, high-end high criminals, I guess, anymore. Yeah. Which, I mean, like, this was the first time the police in America had been scared in, like, 40 years. Well, I mean legitimately scared you yeah know. like legitimately yeah, scared say, cops are scared all the time That's yeah cops are always scared is that they're always afraid of everything yeah every little every little thing is trying to kill them zoinks 
Yeah, like that's the thing about cops. That's why they kill so many people because they're afraid of everything. God, no kidding. I thought that plastic bag was gonna kill me, so I shot through it and hit a toddler. Exactly. <laughs> it was coming from my face. The toddler was in an active fire zone. I so, repeat it. No, sorry. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I'd like. Uh, Emil's family did eventually end up suing the LAPD, um, claiming that they had let him bleed out and die intentionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, the case, I believe, was eventually settled out of court. That's really it. It's like this fucking just crazy goddamn story of these two dudes robbing fucking banks. Like, they did not give a shit, it seemed like. They just wanted to be in heat. Yeah, it seemed like they wanted to be in a movie. All right, well, that's going to pretty much wrap it up for a history episode about the North Hollywood shootout and how it's making us closer and closer to that cyberpunk dystopia that we all know and love. I mean, again, like what I think about is most interesting is just the effect it had on policing and America in general. Because, again, this was like the first time the police had been legitimately terrified by suspects in like 40 years. Oh, yeah. like you know, They didn't know what to do. <laughs> And it broke them. <laughs> Just remember, everybody, all you got to do is scare the hell out of the cops and it can change the world. Yeah, if you <laughs> prove you're tougher than they are. <laughs> you show them that you're tougher than they are, they're not going to know what to do. All right, and with those words of wisdom, we're going to close out. Good night, everybody.